Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening, of course, to the new AM 990, FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Now, Alan Dempsey does the engineering, and he has just been enshrined in the Engineers Hall of Fame, and he's very, very, very pleased. Um, and, and our producer is Andrew Herdliska. He puts the whole show together. And uh, our first guest is an old friend. His name is Steve Brown. You'll recognize his voice. Founder of Key Life Network, host of the talk show Steve Brown, etc. He's a visiting professor. Uh, Steve, it's so nice to catch up with you. How are you doing? Pat, I'm doing really good. And I'm not saying that to be spiritual. I really am. <laughs> is your health, and, is your, uh, is your health so good? much better now that I'm talking to you. Thank you, Steve. How's your health? You taking care of yourself? Really good. I swam 50 laps yesterday and will this afternoon. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, at my age, I could die in a swimming pool, but I'm still doing it. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Steve, explain to us uh, the Key Life Network. What, what's that about? Well, Pat, it started, um, and by the way, it started through some real significant help uh, from Tom Moffat, who used yes, to yes. own the station you're on right now. That's right. And uh, Tom's in heaven now, but... Uh, it's we were sending out as in those days a lot of preachers did some cassette tapes and they were free and it caught on and um uh another friend of mine you know Eddie Waxer yes made it free he never had to spend his money but he said I'll put some money in the bank and you can draw on it if you need it but it always paid for itself and that led to a radio program, and it was in the beginning just a 15-minute teaching program, and it caught on, mm -hmm. and uh, the the original director came to me and said, Steve, they're writing us like we're a big ministry, and it's just you and me, and, uh, and then over the years it grew, and uh, he, uh, lately... Um, and because I really am old, uh, we are preparing because our agency uh, suggested that it was important. They said that a ministry that is personality-driven, the way Key Life has been, hardly ever survives with another personality. Mm. But if the ministry is message-driven, those ministries can survive the death of the founder. And so a few years ago, our board voted at my insistence that we turn the ship around and uh, create a ministry that was message-driven. Mm -hmm. And uh, we laugh about how we've been preparing over the last three or four years for DD Day. That would be the day that Steve drools or dies. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a number of voices, a number of bloggers. Our website, which is keylife.org, um, uh, has millions of hits to it. And uh, 
it's not centered around me. I'm a part of it, and I do what I've always done. But we have some very gifted and wonderful younger people, and that would be everybody that I know. <laughs> they, <laughs> they are getting legs, and the message of God's love for his people, that he's not angry, is what we're about. Radical grace, uh, um, radical freedom, infectious joy, and surprising faithfulness, which is our mission statement. Steve, did, you didn't expect something that long. I'm sorry. Oh, that was uh, good. Good. I'll try to keep the answers shorter. How did you end up in Central Florida? How, what brought you here? Uh, the hurricane. You were in those days. In fact, I met you in Miami years ago. Yes, I remember. Uh, but Hurricane Andrew came and destroyed everything we owned, our house. Mm. Uh, we um, it we had just built a Key Life building. It had a, a glass lobby to it, and Andrew blew it away. We were going to have the open house the next week, and our agency said that that lent new meaning to the words open house. <laughs> and we uh, ended up, it's a long story, but I had been teaching at Reform Seminary, but flying up from Miami and teaching. Mm -hmm. And I had resigned from that job uh, to take care of my mother in North Carolina who was dying. Our house was destroyed. We had a separate place for her when the time came, and now we didn't. So we moved to North Carolina and spent three months. And uh, uh, and by the way, my mom died. I wanted to call all my friends and say, I want you to see how a godly woman dies. And at any rate, we came back. Uh, a, a dishonest contractor had stolen 50000 from us. Mm. And all of a sudden, I was faced with the need for making money. Never had that before. And I called the president at RTS, and I said, will you take me back? And he said, yeah, but you have to move up here. Mm. So I did. And I sat down with the entire staff, who also had lost everything. And I said, I'm going to move but I'm not going to if you don't move with me. Mm. So over a year period, we moved all of our operations and all of our staff to Orlando and Central Florida, and we love it. And it's been a wonderful place. Steve, I followed you on Sirius Radio uh, during that whole period when you taught the book, taught the book of John. Day, oh, yeah. Day by day by day. Uh, tell me about the book of John and why you're so fascinated with it and why it's so important. Well, that was a long time. Uh, Pat, I was an agnostic. I was a philosophy major in college and a, a semi-agnostic. But I couldn't get over this thing, and I'd had it since I was two years old, to be a minister. And it's hard to be a It'd be like me selling uh, <laughs> medication to cure baldness. I mean, it just wasn't a fit. But then I found a graduate school in Boston where they didn't believe anything, and I didn't either. Mm. So uh, I um, so I went there, 
And while I was there, God did a major work in my life and drew me to himself. And I became orthodox theologically, which was a miracle, and joined the enemy, which was a joyous thing. And, um, oh, Pat, what was your original question? My original question was— way around to answer answer it. Steve, (laughs) I heard you teaching— Day by day by day, the book of John. Tell me about the book of John, why it's so important, and why you spent all that time teaching John. Because in those days, I didn't know what the Bible said. And I, when God found me, I I decided I was going to be a Bible teacher. Mm. And because Billy Graham recommended the book of John, I decided I was going to teach John. Mm. And I had no idea what it—and I was a pastor. I had no idea what it said. And I stayed one step ahead of that congregation. I read a verse and told them what I thought it meant. And then I'd read another verse and tell them what I thought it meant. And God brought awakening to that dying church. Uh, newspaper articles were published in the whole Boston area about the church and its growth. Uh, the Jesus movement happened, and hundreds of kids started coming. I've never—and all I was doing was staying one verse ahead of that congregation. <laughs> and I saw the power of that particular book of the Bible— and so subsequent to that time, I loved teaching that book. And as you said, I spent a long time on our teaching program teaching it. Steve Brown is our guest. You recognize that voice, don't you? Uh, we've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word <coughs> in Orlando. <coughs> Let me update you on uh, what's going on here uh, on this station. Uh, Key Life is on 10 a.m. every week, Monday through Friday. Uh, That's Key Life. And then Steve Brown, et cetera, Sunday mornings here, 4 a.m. Steve is up early. Uh, Early on the morning, but he heard it because his hours are weird. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, Steve has caught on all over the country. I'm, yeah. I've been kind of surprised. It was just kind of a throwaway thing, and uh-huh. we started videoing it a year ago, and it's on about 200 stations. And it's um, and the video you got to subscribe to that, and we're getting thousands of people that are doing that. Steve, that's so encouraging. You know, I'm I'm fascinated with your work over the years as a professor at uh, Reform Seminary, and, and now at Knox Theological Seminary, uh, uh-huh. pra- practical theology. Uh, what do you teach, Steve, and what does practical theology mean? Well, my friend and former colleague, John Frame, says that all theology is practical, or it's not real biblical theology. But in terms of a formal discipline, that's things like ecclesiology, you know, how to win the church battles without losing your salvation, 
and primarily preaching and communication, how to write, how to preach, how to talk so people will listen, those kinds of things. And then politics in the church, how to deal with that sort of thing, and how to baptize a baby without dropping the baby on its head, <laughs> uh, what, what to do when you, a stogie falls in the communion cup, you know, <laughs> it's the really down dirt under the fingernails, practical stuff. Steve, when did you realize that you had extraordinary pipes and, and how have those pipes been an advantage for you? You know, uh, Pat, it, it's been, I liked the kid that my mother said when I came out of the womb, it sounded like a burp, <laughs> but it's like grace. I, I honestly had nothing to do with it. I had a high school, my voice changed. I used to sing in a boys choir with that soprano voice. And when my voice changed, it changed radically. And I remember a history teacher in high school who said, Stephen, you better be careful what you say because people will listen with that voice. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, I've remembered that, and I've tried to say things that were important. But the voice, I don't know where it came from. Yeah. And it's better. Than, it's, it's a great voice, and I'm not ungrateful for it. I'm thankful for it. I just wish I looked as good as my voice sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve, all, the rest of us, you see, are trying to develop pipes like that. You know, we we practice speaking very deeply and you know very. Uh, <laughs> you never did. Well, we're you're, we're trying. You're kidding. And but if you want me to, I'll ask Jesus. I mean, He did it for me. And I certainly didn't deserve it. He'll do it for anybody else. Steve, when you... I ask him. So if you want a voice like mine... Start praying for that. That'll be great. Well, the problem is ugliness comes along with that. <laughs> and you don't get one without the other. <laughs> Steve, I want you to reflect on your time in Miami. Uh, what did that mean to you? It was great. Miami still is one of my favorite cities in America. We spent uh, well over 25 years there. And I, and as you know, Miami's probably the most divided city in America. Mm. We raised our children and our dogs there. And it was a very positive experience. And I still go back often and still have a lot of friends there. And uh, it was a time of great growth for me. Um, it was um, a time of great pain and loss for me. It was a time of being drawn to Jesus and seeing his faithfulness in some hard places. And I'll always be grateful and love South Florida. Um, so it, those were good years. And I... Uh, have great memories of that place. Did you ever run into a younger version of Larry King while you were there? Um, you, know, you know, I may have. I, yes, I did. In fact, that's where I, I, I know you knew him. Yes. And I did, too. I, um, 
I had lunch with him one time. A friend set it up. What and was, um, What was that like? Well, it was, you know, he asked questions, and he was very curious. And he was a professed uh, agnostic, mm-hmm. but respectful, but he was not a believer. And he said, do you really believe this stuff? And if you do, why? Mm. And I said, Larry, uh, are you asking that just because that's what you do, ask questions? Or do you really want to know? And if I can tell you why I believe it and you can agree, will you announce it on your nationwide radio show that you've become a Christian? Oh, boy. (laughs) He laughed. And he said, nobody ever asked me that. Mm. And he said, I'll get back to you. (laughs) And he never did. Uh, But he was an amazing, as you know, uh, interviewer, maybe the best that ever was. And on our talk show, uh, Steve Brown, et cetera, I follow his, you know, his policy was don't read a book by an author yes. before you interview that author or you'll ask the wrong questions. And that principle has been true of 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 Steve Brown, et cetera. I don't read books before I interview the authors because I want to ask the questions that the listeners would ask. And for that and a number of other reasons, uh, I'm glad for it. Now, tell me your story about Larry. Well, Steve, here's what happened in 1962, 63, and 64. Those were the beginning of my years in uh, uh, the Phillies organization in baseball. And yeah. I, I played as I was a minor league catcher for two years, 62, 63, half of 63. And then I st- switched over as a young guy into the front office in Miami. And uh, the GM of the club said, by the way, <clears throat> uh, uh, there's a guy named Larry King. He's, he's on at night on WIOD. Wonderful Isle of Dreams out there on a, yeah. on, a on a boat from Surfside Six, and and he, he does this late night talk show. He loves baseball, and, and uh, if if we took our manager out, one year it was Andy Simonek, the next year it was Bobby Morgan. He said uh, Larry'll interview him for darn near an hour, and uh, yeah. he, he said we need to get him out there. So yeah, that's your assignment to get these uh, two guys. This was two different years, but get him out there. <clears throat> Yeah, you're you're going on the air at nine o'clock, and uh, Larry will uh, be there. So that's what happened, and uh, uh-huh. so I sat sat in on the interviews, and uh, that's how I met Larry King. And and over the years, uh, you know, he never forgot anything. I would be he 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 did a couple of blurbs for books of mine, and his daughter oh, man. his daughter Kaya ended up working here at Arabian Nights, and really? uh, Larry called me one time and wanted me to go out and see a show and meet his daughter. And we did that. She passed away this past year. And, oh, uh, and, and so there, there were some Larry King connections, but it all started uh, from those early interviews with the managers of the young minor league Miami Marlins on that boat that uh, Surfside six. And there was Larry young guy. Oh man, that's cool. But, but he had the, had the good pipes. You knew then that he was terrific. Oh, yeah. He was terrific as a young guy, probably Maybe better even, you know, back in those early days. And uh, oh, 
I agree. He was. By the way, it just dawned on me. Didn't we go to Hong Kong together one time? Yeah, we 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 took a tour, Steve, of NBA players, and I uh, remember that in 1982. 1982, we toured China, mainland China, for about. I uh, remember that for about two weeks. Doctor J was with us, and yeah, it was, it was an amazing time. And then we ended up in Hong Kong. Uh, at the end of the trip, and 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 that's when you arrived. That's right. At, uh, and I'll tell you, you know, and I, you know this about me. I, when I said hi, Pat, I told you everything I know about sports. And, <laughs> I, and when I met Doctor J, I thought he was a physician. I thought, <laughs> man, that is one big physician. Yes. And then I got to know him and really liked him a lot. Yeah, sweet, sweet guy. And uh, yeah. so we had we were one of the very first groups, uh, Steve, to get into mainland China. And we had, uh, oh, I don't know, six or eight NBA players, big, tall guys, the little Chinese yeah. people had never seen anything like it, uh, let alone African-American people. And they, they were just overwhelmed and. Eddie, your friend Eddie Waxer helped put that together. And I'll tell you who our Bible teacher was for that whole trip. A young guy, maybe, I don't know, 27 years old or so, Dr. Tony Evans. Oh, yeah. He, I he, remember. I love him. Good man. Yeah, he's the best. And and, and uh, he uh, he did the Bible teaching, you know, period, every, almost every day on that trip. So yeah, he did. It, I remember. That was a good trip. It was, uh, it was quite a remarkable time. And... And uh, one of the first groups, as I said, to get into mainland China. Steve, I want you to uh, reflect and advise people who struggle with some sort of a system of reading and studying the Bible. Uh, What's a a good practical way for people to really get into the scriptures and stay in them? Well, all... Certainly, you should study the scriptures, and you ought to have at least one, one volume commentary. Mm-hmm. And along with a modern day translation of scriptures, you ought to have a paraphrase of scripture, like Peterson's um, uh, translation of the scriptures, which are good. But mostly, you need, and and those things are used to answer questions as you study the Bible. But most of the time, it's you and Jesus and his spirit and the Bible, and that's it. And start in the New Testament. And uh, don't go to the Old Testament until you get through the New Testament, because the New Testament explains the Old Testament. Mm Mm-hmm. I I have a lawyer friend who's a malpractice lawyer, mean as a snake, who <laughs> became a Christian. He said, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to start in Genesis. <laughs> and I said, I don't believe I'd start there. Why don't you start in John? He said, no, I'm going to start at the beginning of the book. And then I saw him a couple of months later. I said, how's your Bible reading going? He said, well, God's not what I thought he was. He's out killing off cows and nations and men and women and children. And then he stopped and smiled and said, now, don't get me wrong. He's my kind of guy. (laughs) 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 So you got to do it. You got to do it in a systematic way. Don't let others tell you what you find. You find it for yourself. 
make sure you have a source so you can get answers to your questions and go to it, and you'll be surprised at what God does. Steve, in closing, I want you to teach us and talk to us about the Holy Spirit, who often gets neglected. And what should the Holy Spirit uh, be part of our life? Just dig into that. It ought to be, well, the Holy Spirit, um, Eddie Waxer got mad at me one time because I used him as an illustration in a book. (laughs) And he said, my ministry has to be in the background and you don't help much, so don't do that again. (laughs) Well, the Holy Spirit's kind of like that, too. That's why there's not a lot written on the Holy Spirit because his job description is to point to Jesus and to the Father, the first and second persons of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And Pat, I wrote a book one time. Um, I'm going to keep writing books until I get it right. And uh, I wrote a book one time called Follow the Wind. The whole book is on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit is likened to the wind in the Scripture. And if people, I think that may still be in print, you could go to our website, keylife.org, and check, or you could check it on Amazon. Steve Brown has been our guest, and a good one at that. Uh, We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Uh, Stay with us. We'll be right back. Steve Brown, uh, founder of Key Life Network, was our guest in that first segment uh, right here in Central Florida. We go up to Michigan. Karen Eamon is there. Uh, She writes for Encouragement for Today. Her book is out, Reach Out, Gather In, 40 Days to Opening Your Heart and Home. Uh, Welcome to Orlando, Karen. How are you? I'm great, Pat. Thanks so much for having me. Tell me about your new book. So it's a 40-day challenge, and it's all on kind of the broad topic of hospitality, but more on just learning to be a welcoming person, somebody who notices others and makes them feel wanted, whether that's within your home, which is a little hard to do sometimes nowadays with the pandemic, or at your office when you're out and about around town, just ways to notice people and make them feel wanted and welcome. Karen, uh, from those you've spoken with, why do you think there's hesitation to invite people into their homes? I think a lot of it has to do with, and I'm not knocking it at all because I love to watch it, but all of these shows by the experts of how to fix your home up so it's just stunning and how to cook so it's gourmet. And sometimes we think if we can't do it like all the experts do, then we aren't even going to try at all. And I also feel that sometimes it's just the unknown because we're not used to having people over or offering hospitality and we don't know how it's going to go. And so it's a little bit of a, a unknown factor to us. And I feel like it's probably the reason the Bible says to practice hospitality. I feel like it gets easier the more you practice, the more you stop thinking it has to be perfect and that you have to impress people and look instead to just welcome them, make them feel wanted and not try to impress them, but make them feel refreshed when they leave your home and realize that it's going to take some practice not going to always come easy, but it, it is something that we're commanded to do in the Bible. Karen, I want you to get into this important topic. It's called soul sharing. Uh, what does that mean? Well, 
in today's day and age with screens and social media and online places, as much as those are wonderful and they can be great tools, we kind of have this false notion that we are connecting with people a lot because all day long we're liking their posts, we're giving them a thumbs up or a heart, and we, at the end of the day, have touched a lot of screens, and so we think we're connecting with people, but we really aren't connecting on a deeper level that I call soul sharing, and soul sharing goes beyond just the likes and the thumbs up and the, hey, how you doing, and oh, that video is cute, and it really seeks to get to know someone about, you know, their, know about their hopes and, and their dreams and their fears and what they're struggling with and what they're happy about, what they're excited about, not just on a, a thumbs up level, but to really say, you know, how are you doing? I mean, it looks like on social media, everything's going great, but really, how are you? You know, how are your relationships? How's your relationship with God? You know, is there anything I could be praying about for you? And really letting that person into your life and you getting into their life too, more than just those fun times that we have with the screens, but, but really getting a peek into their heart. Uh, Karen Eamon is with us uh, from her home in Michigan. We're talking about her book, Reach Out, Gather In. So what does an individual spiritual gift play in the way they show love and hospitality to others? Uh, Karen, you suggest crafting what you call a spiritual resume. Uh, explain all that to us. Well, the section in the book that talks about a spiritual resume, it's just really trying to get people to stop looking at others and how they minister and how they serve and how they Sexualize and how they connect with people and, and thinking, oh boy, I wish I were like them. And instead, just really kind of look inward and, and ask yourself, you know, what are my spiritual gifts? Am I good at, at serving? Am I good at teaching? Do I have the gift of mercy? I don't have the gift of mercy. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible at that, but my husband does. So, you know, I see that he interacts with people a little different than I do. I have the gift of encouragement. So I'm the one to give them a, a add a boy or add a girl and and you can do it, and encouragement means to impart courage, and that's kind of how I roll. But when they're going through a hard time, he's the one that really they gravitate toward more because he has mercy. So look at those spiritual gifts, but don't just stop there. Look at your passions. You know, what passions do you have that you could use to serve others? Maybe you enjoy painting a wallpaper, and then you could help somebody who's new at your church that just moved in and needs some of that done. Also think about what your natural talents are. Maybe you're just really talented in a certain area and you can use that to serve others. Also your passions. You know, are you really passionate about the homeless? Maybe you can go down and serve at a homeless shelter. Just take all of these interests, these natural talents, these spiritual gifts, and I, I walk people through just cracking a spiritual resume and saying, this is how I'm wired. This is how God made me. Now, how can I use this unique way he's crafted me to plug into my community, to plug into my church and the body of Christ? Uh, Karen, uh, we've just moved to the next topic uh, okay. of, your, of your interesting book. Uh, here's a concept you mentioned in the book. Go find your old self. Uh, <laughs> I, I need you to expand on that. Okay. Well, first I have to tell a little bit of a story. So I first became a Christian. I heard the gospel and, and responded to Jesus at a woman's house who lived in my neighborhood. She was the new youth pastor's wife at the church that was across the street. I didn't go to the church, 
but she had seen me out in my front yard throwing a softball up to myself, and I was a latchkey kid, and she invited me to join the church softball team. And she had me into her very ordinary home and her very ordinary life, and she would feed me leftovers that their family had had the night before, and she would make me some apple cinnamon tea, I remember very well. And she reached out to me as a lonely teenager from a broken home, because guess what? One t- uh, once upon a time, she was a lonely teenager from a broken home. And I think of that scripture in, I believe it's First Corinthians, that talks about how God comforts us so that we in turn can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from him. So fast forward to now, my son constantly has kids over that are that teens and early adults, and many of them are from broken homes. And in a way, when I open my home and feed them my leftovers, I kind of feel like I'm going back in time and finding my old self. So what this can look like is, you know, something very simple. Were you once a parent with a couple kids in the, the shopping cart at the grocery store and the baby was crying and the toddler was throwing a fit and grabbing things off the shelves? You know, don't roll your eyes at that person and think, oh, my kids never behave like that because we all know that they did. Kids all behave like that at some point. But, you know, walk up to that mom and dad and Look them the $10 bill and say, hey, you are doing an important work. Go get yourself a latte on the way home. Looks like you could use it. Hang in there, mom, or hang in there, dad. Or it can be on a grander scheme. I have a friend who struggled with alcoholism for years, and now he has been sober for 10 years, an entire decade, and he's just opened a nonprofit and is raising money to build a halfway house for formerly incarcerated men who were incarcerated because of alcohol and need to assimilate back into society. So just think of that time in your life when you struggled and when God met you with his comfort and go look for someone in that situation today and comfort them with the comfort you yourself have received from God. Karen, explain to us hospitality outside the home. What, what could that look like? Well, when we broaden our view of hospitality and don't just think of the typical way we would think of it, which is, you know, you open your front door and a bunch of people come in and sit down at your dining room table and have a meal. When we broaden it, we can see a little bit out of the box and see that we can offer hospitality in many places. We can let a local coffee shop or a restaurant provide the location while we still offer hospitality and meet someone there for a meal or um a cup of coffee and make them feel noticed and welcomed and get to get to know them on a deeper level. You can use the mail. I During the pandemic, oh my goodness, there were so many people that I wish I could have gotten together with, but I couldn't, and I missed seeing them. So I started making these little shoebox, uh, goodie boxes, and packed it just full of things that I knew that person liked, and I sent it through the mail with a note that said, I miss getting together with you, you know, make this coffee in here and FaceTime me so we can catch up. Um, maybe you can do drive-bys or drop-offs, or you can use that screen for good. You know, screens can be good. And go hunt down a former teacher on Facebook and leave a post on their wall with a specific memory you have of them and thank them for pouring into your young life. There are a lot of ways we can still make people feel noticed and welcomed that, that doesn't have to be within our four walls. Karen Eamon is our guest. We're talking about her book, Reach Out, Gather In. Now, your book ends with a powerful and relevant story of a boy called Second Grant. Who, who, what's this about? What's the impact it had on you, Karen? 
Well, my son, my youngest son, went to high school at a public high school. He was homeschooled when he was younger, and when he transferred to this public high school, he joined the football team, and there were all kinds of football players hanging out at my house at all times. And another student had transferred in a little bit after my son, and his name was Grant. There was already a Grant in this gang of, of friends, so we called this guy Second Grant. And these boys would often come to my house, especially after a football game on a Friday night, and, and sometimes, you know, on a, a different night when I didn't know they were going to show up, but I would walk out of my home office to go get some more coffee, and I would see this huge pile of shoes that were piled in my foyer, and I wouldn't even have heard that the boys had come to my house because I like to work with a headphone on with white noise on it. And about that time, I would pass the shoes. My son, Spencer, would bound up the stairs, and I would always say the same thing to him. Oh, hey, you're home. Who'd you bring with you? And then he would start to rattle off the name of lists, you know, Javari and Emilio and Blake and Grant and Second Grant and all these guys. Well, I was right in the middle of working on this message that became Reach Out Together and about noticing people, you know, especially those people that got put right in front of you. And I thought a pretty good time to work on this was early on a Saturday morning because nobody was going to be up. The boys weren't going to be up for a while, but Second Grant was an early riser. And he would come up the stairs and he'd plop himself on the couch and say, what you working on, Miss Karen? And I'd think, uh, I'm working on a book about noticing people if you could leave me alone, you know. And I felt like the Lord really said, oh, I get it, Karen. You want to give the message? You just don't want to live the message. So to make a long story short, I shut my laptop. I got to know him. I tried to work in the gospel track conversations. And about nine months later, he asked me, what my husband and I were going to be doing on a particular Sunday evening in March. I thought it was because he wanted me to make food for some game that was going to be on television. But instead, he was being baptized. He'd become a Christian, and he was being baptized, and he wanted us to be there. And I just thought how I almost missed it. You know, God does this very saving. It's not us. But I got to have a little part in it because I shut my laptop, and I noticed him. And I think when we get to heaven, you know, God's not going to ask us how successful we were at work or what a great parent we were. I think he's going to say something more along the lines of what I used to say when I saw that pile of shoes, which is, hey, you're home. Who'd you bring with you? And we can bring others with us, so to speak. Again, God does the saving. Just stopping what we're doing, noticing that person right in front of us, and using our home in the process. Karen Eman is with us from Michigan. Uh, she writes in for encouragement for today, we're talking about her book, Reach Out, Gather In, 40 Days to Opening Your Heart and Your Home. Uh, Karen, before the break here, uh, you talk about recipes and home manage, management strategies. You share some of these in the book. Uh, what's what's all that about? Well, I didn't want to do a book that was just theory. Like, there's a ton in here about what the Bible says about hospitality, how it is a command, not a suggestion. And so I wanted it to be scripturally based, the why of hospitality, but I didn't want to leave people hanging without the how. And so throughout the book, it's set up in 40 days, eight sections, and each section has five days. So the first three are very much um, the biblical content, journaling, your own journey, learning about the, the whys. But then the last two days are always something practical. So day four of every section gives something practical to do to get your house ready or for decorating or for decluttering strategies. And then day five is always recipes. I wanted to share lots of recipes, both for having people into your home and then things you can make to do some drop-offs and some drive-bys and to mail to the mail. 
So I gave a lot of the why we should be doing this, but a ton of the, the how. The, here's the practical. Now you can go do it, too. My guest is Karen Eman. We've got another segment with Karen. Stay with us. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour uh, right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Uh, Just a quick word. We're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. That's our next big mission, and you can help. There's a website I want you to go to, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com. And, and just check it out. Uh, let us let us hear from you. Um, if you've got interest in, in doing this, if you think it's a good idea, uh, just tell us. And if you have interest in season tickets one day, tell us that as well. OrlandoDreamers.com. More with Karen Eamon <clears throat> right after these messages. Karen Eamon is with us. She's authored the book, Reach Out, Gather In. Uh, she's also... Uh, authored a book, Make Their Day, 101 Simple, Powerful Ways uh, to Love Others Well. Uh, Tell us about this book, Make Their Day. What prompted you to write it? To me, and she said, you know, I love these little ideas that you do to make people feel noticed, and I like the birthday ideas you had, and, oh, I remember the time you did this and that, and you know what? You should put that all in a book. And actually, around the same time, my publisher, um, with Reach Out, Gather In, had said, boy, I wish there were even there was even more room in Reach Out, Gather In to give people more ideas. So what do you think about doing like a, just a small little idea book that people can use and reference whenever they have a holiday or a holy day or just an everyday day and they want to make somebody feel special? So this 101 ideas thing. It's, it's kind of, you know, a resource for when you've ever thought, you know, boy, I wish I could do something for them. And so I've given people 101 something ways um, to just be thoughtful, to reconnect with old friends, to make coworkers feel special, and especially to sprinkle kindness in this culture of thrill. We see so many times that people are canceling each other and, you know, fighting with each other. Well, how about we sprinkle some kindness instead? So that that's, the why behind the book and the what is there are several categories, whether it's just friends, your family, around the town, in your church, um, strangers, um, people that are hurting, their categories, and then you can flip to the ideas for that category to find something to do for them. Uh, I want you to uh, talk about, in the introduction, you talk about lighting candles instead of cursing the darkness. Uh, can you expand on that? What's the importance of lighting a few candles? Well, again, I think it doesn't take long, whether we're flipping on the TV or uh, opening the screen on our phones, to see just how much, I don't know, I call it hurling hate there is out there today. And instead, you know, one day I was just talking to my husband and I was just thinking, you know, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of this constant scroll of snark and sarcasm and and this outright hurling of hate, and instead of complaining about it, you know, I thought of that old quote. It's often attributed to John F. Kennedy, but he was actually referencing um, um, someone else that talked about how it's far better yet to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And so I thought, you know, that's what we need to do in the the spirit of um, Hebrews 10.24, which says, let's consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. I thought, hmm, that's a great phrase. Let's spark some love and good deeds. And let's light that candle instead of just constantly being frustrated at all of the sarcasm and snark and hate that we see. Let's, let's 
do a counterpunch <laughs> with a little kindness. Uh, <clears throat> let's continue. Uh, Karen Eman is our guest, and we're, we're talking with her from her home in Michigan. 101 great ideas to shower others with love and kindness. So uh, where did these ideas come from? How did you go about putting all this together? That's a big project. Well, I grew up with a mom that was great at doing these things. She and I are very different in our personalities. I am quite talkative and hardly ever lost words, and she's pretty quiet and shy and reserved. But I saw her live her life in such a way that she was always on the lookout for somebody that needed to be cheered. And I remember it actually a lesson that she taught me that kind of led to um, me trying to live this way and these ideas I've accrued over the last, you know, 25 years of my adulthood or so. Um, I remember being upset one day in middle school. I think I had not gotten invited to a slumber party. And then so I was all down and depressed. And my mom sat me down at the dining table and listened to me. And then she said something I never have forgotten. She said, you know what, honey, whenever your life isn't, going your way and circumstances have got you down, you need to remember this. There's always somebody out there who has it worse off than you. So here's what you do. You go find that person and you do something to make their day. And in a strange way, it ends up making your day as well. You know, I can be complaining because my kitchen isn't big and fancy and remodeled and I just am kind of down about it. Well, you know what? I can complain and compare myself to all the other people on social media who have bigger and better kitchens than me. Or I can go down to the women's shelter and serve a meal to these women who have fled abusive homes and are now living in this tiny little halfway house and don't own a kitchen. And, you know, all of a sudden my kitchen's not that bad, right? And so I saw my mom live like this, and I just kind of took note of the different ideas that she had and how she was such a listener, and she would she would listen to these, what I call heart drops, when people say something without saying it. And then she would do something special to them, for them. Maybe they mentioned that next Thursday they were getting the results back of some medical tests. Well, she would jot down on her calendar to give that person a call or drop them off a, a little treat on their desk at work um, and say, how did the test go? You know, she really taught me to, to lean in and to listen and to be a noticer and then to do something to make the day, especially of somebody who doesn't have life, as well off as you do. And it really looks like an adventure. It's, it's a fun way to live. It's, you know, not that I get to do it every single day, but when you shift your perspective from, oh, poor me, to whose life can I make better today, it really does become an adventure. Karen, <clears throat> school teachers have some of the hardest jobs in the country. Uh, can you come up with a few ideas for parents who want to be sure that their child's teacher feels appreciated? Yeah, I have had a lot of friends who are teachers, and I remember talking to one one day about, I think it was around Christmas time, and we were talking about all of the many, many, many um, wonderful, sweet, apple-themed gifts that she always got for Christmas. And, you know, she was chuckling and saying, oh, I could probably have three Christmas trees with nothing but apple ornaments. And it was sweet that her students had remembered her. But she said something I've never forgotten. She said, well, you know, I really remember, Karen, are the random, ordinary Tuesday afternoons when I got a phone call or an email or a parent picked up their child from school and they pulled me aside and said, hey, I just want to let you know, I appreciate so much all the time and effort you put into teaching my child. Thank you so much for being their teacher. 
or they dropped off a little gift on her desk and just said, hey, I was just thinking about you. You're such a blessing in our life. Thank you for being my child's teacher. And so, of course, it's wonderful to remember teachers at Christmas time, but it's even more important to notice them, you know, during the middle of the year when they're just busy doing their job. So a couple ideas that I give in the book are, um, especially if you have a, a smaller child, to have them handwrite in their very best penmanship a letter to their teacher, including, you know, two or three things that they really appreciate about that teacher, and then maybe text a gift card to a local coffee house in the card, and then that teacher can go grade their papers at the coffee house. Um, another fun idea to do with a small child, um, my niece actually did this, I gave her this idea at Christmas, is to quiz your young student about the things they love the most about their teacher, some of their favorite things. Um, ask them questions like, what color are their eyes? How old is he? You know, how many years do you think she's been a teacher? And write down all the answers and then kind of make up a little test where you have the questions on one side, but the answers on the other side, and the teacher has to guess what the child said about them. And often it just turns out super hilarious because, you know, especially when they say, how old do you think they are? They give some kind of wild, wild answers. But anything that you can do on just a random day to, to thank them, whether it's that you, you know, snoop around and see what their favorite snack is and you have the child make that form. Or you just, like I said, you just shoot them an email that just said, you know, I was just thinking about you, and I so appreciate all your hard work. It does not go unnoticed, and I just wanted you to know that. It really will stand out to them even more than the cute little apple ornaments at Christmas. Karen, how has your life been changed by showering others with acts of love? I think it's really helped me to see that often God uses very ordinary people for his grand plan of bringing others to faith. You know, sometimes we want to go do the big things and we don't realize that God is doing a big thing just by our ordinary life. And when I think of how I became a Christian, just by that woman who opened her home and let me in, it was like she just said, hey, pull up a chair and join me in life. And I got to watch the gospel firsthand. When we do that, whether our house is messy, whether our kids are not behaving like we think they should when company's over, or whether we feel like we have anything to offer, when we are just willing to just open that door and let people in and let them see a glimpse of the gospel, we can get a front row seat at watching others come to faith. I mean, I can't even tell you how many different people have become Christians and then told my husband and I part of it had to do with being in our home and just my guest has been karen eman uh we've got a wrap up right after this on the pat williams saturday power hour here on the new am 990 and fm 101.5 the word in orlando thanks so much for joining us here on the pat williams saturday power hour now in that first segment uh, we had steve brown with those powerful dulcet tones boy i could love to listen to steve brown talk it was great and then uh, Karen Eman uh, plugged in uh, from Michigan, uh, writing about her two books, Reach Out, Gather In, and Make Their Day. Speaking of books, uh, the latest book I've written is just out. It's called The Reluctant Leader. And uh, we look at leadership in, in, in this vein. Why do so many people um, turn down opportunities to lead? Uh, why are they so reluctant? Uh, why do they uh, pass it off? Well, <clears throat> we dive into that topic 
Uh, go up to Amazon and a uh, good way to order it, The Reluctant Leader. Uh, we're back next weekend for more <clears throat> on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando. And above all, have a great week ahead.